0: What an honor and a privilege it is uh, to be able to work with such an incredible team here at Sugar Hill Church uh, and to be a part of this church family. And uh, I'm overwhelmed on a regular basis that God's allowed me to be a part of of your family. And uh, and this morning, I get to talk about one of my favorite things in the entire world is camp. Uh, As a six-year-old kid struggling with my father's death, uh, at summer camp, uh, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And uh, as a teenager working at camp, recognized that God was calling me to be willing to live every moment for Him. And, uh, and so I, I truly believe camp is a big deal, and, uh, and so I'm so thankful for you guys that you would be willing uh, to invest in camp and allow our middle schoolers to go and be a part of camp, because camp's not cheap. And uh, and so I'm very thankful for you. And those of you who gave so that students would have the opportunity to go to camp, uh, over the next few minutes, as I talk about this experience, I just want you to know uh, that you helped students be changed by the Word of God. And so as I read a couple stories, I want you to know uh, that that's because of you. And so very thankful for you. I'm also thankful for uh, our adult leaders. Man, we have... The most amazing, amazing adult leaders. The, the, fact, the fact that they would give up their vacation, many of them, and they would go spend a week with some 10 to 13-year-old students in a smelly cabin uh, where they don't get much sleep, and, uh, and that they would spend that week loving on them uh, instead of going to the beach is a big deal. And, uh, and so I was so very thankful for them and the ministry that they have in the lives of students. Uh, it, it's just been has been awesome and overwhelming. I'm also very thankful for our pastors, um, because not very many pastors would take time out of their schedule to go to camp, especially middle school camp, and, uh, and hang out with students and, and share the Word of God with them. But your pastors do that. And not only do they go to camp and share with them, but they come and, spend days at camp and hang out with them as well. And, uh, and I know that standing on stage and, and sharing truth, like you saw in the video, is, is important. And awesome, a squirrel got in here. That's pretty fast, pretty fantastic. Somebody just saw him. There, he's going to hang out with me now. All right, I like it. That's right. That's what happens when you invite the middle school pastor to preach in church. And uh, we're going to have Ray Stevens come now and sing Mississippi Squirrel Revival, and then we're going to call it a night. Now I've lost my train of thought. Oh! It's amazing our pastors are willing to come and invest the time to share with students. But here's what's really cool is the time that our pastors spend like on the blob tower, just chatting with students and hanging out with them in the dining hall and spending time with them. I mean, that makes a huge impact to our kids because they know they are loved and valued. And, uh, and so I'm very thankful for your pastors and their commitment to our students and spending time with them. He's back. All right, he'll come by. Somebody, somebody open the door and let him out of here. If, if you're if you're watching online, if you're watching online, let me just say, you're you're missing out. only church in America (laughs) that has a squirrel running around. I wonder if he'll stay there.
1: Immersed into camp, and uh, yes, that was staged and planned. But we have five more we're letting go in a minute. Cause some lady sitting back there got the Holy Ghost a minute ago. She thought it was a chipmunk, but I heard. Woo! She didn't do that one time during preaching or singing, but she broke it out for the chipmunk. That's right. She got right with God. I would suggest we all take a breath, and if it comes back again, just pick your feet up. It's been proven they can't climb the legs of these chairs. These are chipmunk-proof chairs. We sought high and low to find these. If you're online right now, Aren't you glad you're online right now? Now, you do whatever you're preaching. I'd probably pray and then come back at it. But that's, that's your call.
0: Bless God. So I, I, think, I think I've got a good transition for this. So at camp, uh, the morning that Pastor Chuck spoke, we did one of those Ask Chuck Anything times? You've probably been a part of one of those. And uh, middle schoolers brought it with the questions, by the way. And uh, I think the first question that was asked is, uh, did Adam and Eve really not have belly buttons? And, uh, and Chuck Chuck took the question on. The second question that was asked, I think it was the second question is, how do I confront someone? And that's heavy. Coming from a middle schooler. And not long after that, another middle schooler asked, how do I forgive someone? And that just kind of tells you a little bit about the heart of where they were at. And uh, it was really neat. We, uh, one of our adult leaders this year, a guy by the name of Adam Knight, uh, you saw him in the video. He was on our panel uh, on Tuesday. Uh, He was an eighth grader at middle school camp just a handful of years ago. And this year was back as an adult leader serving. There was a young man that was in his cabin, and um, during lunch, he came to, uh, he came and sat down at the table with Adam, and he looked up at Adam, and uh, he said, Adam, do you really not have a belly button? And Adam had been out on the field getting prepped for our morning game and had no idea that that question had been asked. And he was about the most confused person on the face of the planet. And that poor sixth grade student thought they were talking about him not having a belly button. It was hysterical, absolutely hysterical. I'm just going to tell you that. Uh, I want to share a little bit about uh, what camp, what, what we talked about at camp. Our theme this year for camp was the good life. And the good life we defined as that which is rooted and that which is real. And so often we chase after money or we chase after fame or we chase after friendships or success or we chase after likes on social media or views of our videos. And we get to that accomplishment only to find That it doesn't bring peace, joy, or fulfillment. Rather, it leaves us hopeless, abandoned, and broken. And our challenge to our students this week is to invest in the good life and that which is real. Let me read a couple of things that our students said this morning as they were leaving camp. My favorite thing about camp was getting to know how I can incorporate God in my daily life and how he will bring me peace. That once I allow Jesus in my heart, he will walk beside me and ride along my side through my battles and struggles. That same student went on to say, I shouldn't blame the Lord for my struggles. He is with me and loves me so much, even giving up his son so that I could be with him. A student said... This week, I commit to tell myself that I'm not worthless, dumb, ugly, or stupid. I'm God's child, and He loves me so much. And I'll pray to Him as much as I can so that I can be closer to Him. One student was asked, What's your favorite thing about camp? He said, Accepting Jesus as my Savior. Not the blob. Or the games, but accepting Jesus as my Savior. We had 14 students accept Christ as our Savior camp. Yeah. And a few minutes ago, uh, a few minutes ago, uh, there were 22 students who showed up at a baptism class saying, man, I want to find out about baptism and, and how I can get involved in baptism. So over the coming weeks, you'll see those students be able to tell their stories uh, about being saved and getting baptized is incredible. And right now, uh, there's a room full of middle schoolers uh, waiting to hear which team won. And um is awesome. This week, we started by building a foundation on that which is real. And so we told them the, the foundation of that which is real is built from the ground up, starting with real love. And John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy And things like money and fame and success, the things that we chase after, those things still kill and destroy. But Jesus said that his purpose is to give us a rich and satisfying life. And the very next verse, he says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd loves his sheep and is willing to sacrifice his life for them. And so we started by talking about a relationship with Jesus, accepting the free gift of salvation as the foundation of the good life. Then we came back, and on Wednesday morning, we had a panel of staff and volunteers uh, who shared about being connected with the source of life, and not just knowing Jesus, but living in the relationship with Him, walking with Him on a regular basis. And they shared on what that looked like. And then on Wednesday night, Pastor Bobby taught on real relationships. That once I'm walking with Jesus every day, I'm in fellowship with him, that it impacts my relationships horizontally with the people that I'm around. And he talked about that we need to have friends that make us stronger and that make us better and that tell us the truth. I mean, so many students were impacted by that message and said, I need, I need better friends in my life, and I need to be a kind of friend that's going to tell the truth, Pastor Chuck shared about real peace, about when life gets hard, what do we do? How do we stay plugged into God when life is difficult? Incredible message. So many kids talked about the importance of forgiveness. And then on Thursday evening, Pastor Tripp shared about having a real identity he talked about what defines my life. He passed out a picture of the Mona Lisa to the students and he told the story of the Mona Lisa and its value. He talked about what gives it its value and then he gave them an opportunity with an ink pen to add value to the Mona Lisa. And I think every student in the room drew a mustache on her face and gave her a mole. Yeah, they all did that. And, uh, and then he talked about how Our value, here he comes, don't worry, our value is defined, our value is defined by our creator. And if we are willing to recognize that our creator gets to define who we are, then that's where we'll find our identity. And then we wrapped up the series talking about our purpose. And I want to share with you this morning about our purpose. And so if you'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus is traveling. And he's got his disciples with him. And they're, they're traveling to a town. And their trip through that, to that town takes them through the town of Samaria. And of course, Samaria was a town that was mostly lived in by people that were half Jewish. And the Jewish people hated the Samaritans. In fact, they hated the Samaritans so much that they would refuse to walk even through the town. They would get up. They would go on a trip, and they would walk multiple extra miles to bypass around this town so they would not have to encounter or talk to any Samaritans. Jesus is walking with his disciples, but instead of going around Samaria, they walk right to Samaria. And when they get close to town, they come to a well... And Jesus tells his disciples, hey, go into town and find me some food. And he stays there, stays there in that space because he knows he's about to meet someone special. And sure enough, as Jesus is sitting there at the well, along comes a woman that's defined in Scripture as the Samaritan woman. And the Samaritan woman shows up and she's got her water jar. And she's carrying her water jar and she's waiting to get some water from the well. And she comes to the well and she sees Jesus. And she says, hey, what are you doing here? And Jesus says, I'm thirsty. Can I have a drink of water? And she responds to Jesus and says to Jesus, you're not supposed to talk to me because you're Jewish and I'm Samaritan. And Jews don't talk to Samaritans. And Jesus replies by saying, yeah, but if you knew who I was you would know that I can offer you something even greater than just water. I can offer you eternal life. And she begins to interact with Jesus as she tries to figure out who he is. And she says, okay, if you are who you say you are, I have a question for you. Where is the the place where we're supposed to worship God? And Jesus explains to her that Worship to God is not about where we are. It's about who we worship. It's about our heart. And so it doesn't matter if you're in Judea or if you're in Galilee or if you're in Samaria, you can worship God. Just like it doesn't matter if you're in Sugar Hill Church or if you're in your own home or if you're in your place of work. That worship is about what's in our heart. And then Jesus tells her something that blows her mind. He says to her, Go get your husband and bring him back so I can talk to him. And the Samaritan woman says, But I'm not married. And Jesus says, I know. But you've been married five times, and the person you're living with is not your husband. Now, I think. I think this statement, this part of the interaction defines a lot about this woman and where she was at emotionally coming to talk to Jesus. You see, I don't think it's a surprise or an accident that she showed up at the well alone. I think she showed up at the well alone because she was nobody would be willing to come with her. You see, she had a checkered past. She hadn't made some of the best decisions. And so she comes to the well Hopeless, broken, and alone. And she begins this interaction with Jesus. And as soon as he tells her this information about herself, the light bulb comes on, and she recognizes that she has met the Messiah. She sets down her water pot, and she leaves to go into town to tell the people who she's met. And about that same time, the disciples show up, shocked, That Jesus is talking to a Samaritan. And look with me, if you will, in John chapter 4 and verse 28. In John chapter 4 and verse 28, it says this The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And so the people came streaming from the village to see him. The first thing I want you to see this morning is very simple that God has given you a purpose. God has given you a purpose. When the Samaritan woman came to the well that day, I believe she showed up without purpose. She showed up alone, hopeless, not looking forward to tomorrow. But after she met Jesus, she left the well with a huge purpose. And God has given you and I a purpose as well. In Ephesians 2.10, which is a passage we spent a ton of time looking at this week, it says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That statement, long ago, I believe, actually could be translated before time began, which means God created you with purpose, and when He created you with purpose, He looked at you and said, "Man, I did good." And He had this plan for you, so that when you trusted Christ as a Savior, the purpose would already be laid out for you, for you to go forward and live out that purpose. And He says that it's good. The, the things that you are going to do for Him are good. The same thing He says about His creation. And so many people say, yes, but I can't serve God because of my past. I mean, look at the mistakes I've made. I can't serve God. But I believe God redeems our past. And I think this woman is an example of that. She came to the well saying, man, I can't do anything for God. Nobody will listen to me. But she left knowing that God redeems our past. Some people are worried because of our present situation, our present circumstances. You see, God works despite our present challenges. You say, but I don't know how to talk, or uh, I'm not good speaking in front of people, or I don't know enough about the Bible. I, I've, I, there's no way I could tell somebody else about Jesus. I make too many mistakes. I, 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 you know, I can't do this, I can't do that. I believe God works specifically through us so that our challenges then magnify His glory. I know in my life, I've said over and over and over again, there is no way that I could do anything of value for God lest He do it through me. And I believe God also triumphs over our future worries. That when we are worried about what's going to happen, that God triumphs over those. I imagine that woman when the woman at the well left the well, she was all charged up, but once she got down the road a little bit she may have started thinking oh man nobody's gonna listen to me and then all of a sudden she saw the first person right and she said hey 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 come here come here come here and they're probably thinking oh no this lady again and she says guess what i just met the messiah and she's thinking in her mind they're just gonna blow me off and they're like wait you met the messiah yeah yeah come come with me let's go meet, let's go i'll take you to him Oh, great, let's go. How about we get some other people too? And they continue into town. And now she sees another person say, hey, I met the Messiah. Come see, come meet him. Hey, let me grab my family. Two becomes five. Five becomes 10. 10 becomes the entire town. And she begins leading them back to the Messiah. No longer worried about if they were ever going to listen to her. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars. That's me right there. Containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. You see, he's created a purpose for us. The second thing we see is that he's prepared our path. That he's prepared our path in verse 35, Jesus addresses the disciples who have just showed up. He says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The, fear, the fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plant and another harvest. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant because others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Family, I believe that as Jesus is saying this, the disciples are looking at him, and he raises his hands and he points, and they turn as he's sharing this truth. And as they turn and look, they see an entire town coming to where they are, all ready to hear the gospel. The next few verses go on to say that they stayed there in Samaria for two days just sharing the gospel with the people so that the people would know Jesus. I believe God's prepared our path. So he's put people in our path that have already been prepared and ready for when we show up and fulfill our purpose. A handful of years ago, I was in a, position of transition from one church to another. And as I was making that transition from one church to another, I needed a place to get an income. And so I took a job at Chick-fil-A. And uh, I would go into work and I was hired to change the culture in the the kitchen of that Chick-fil-A. I was a friend of the operator. He asked me if I would be willing to come in and uh, just help the kitchen staff make food the right way and have a good attitude about it. And so from day one, I was expected to tell people that had been working at Chick-fil-A for 10, 11, 12 years that what they were doing to make the food was incorrect and that they needed to do it my way on day number one. And as you can imagine, that didn't go very well. And um, I've been called a lot of things in other languages. And... Uh, I remember I would get in my car every day, and I would pick up the phone and I'd call my wife and I'd say, I hate this job. I hate this job. I've been called to be in student ministry, and I believe that with my whole heart. And working at Chick-fil-A just wasn't fitting the bill for me. But during that time, I." was hired on at another church, but they didn't have enough to pay me full time, so I still needed to keep the job at Chick-fil-A. And so I was working there at Chick-fil-A, and while I was at that church, I met somebody who had just graduated from high school. And he said, was like literally, the first day we met, he said, I need a job. And I said, ah, come work with me at Chick-fil-A. And so he came over, he filled an application, and got hired. And when he showed up at work, I put him at the breading table right next to me. I would bread the chicken, he would load it in the basket. And while we're there, breading chicken, we talked about all kinds of things. We talked about movies, we talked about sports, we talked about girls, and we talked about Jesus. And he was a broken person. He had been hurt. And he showed up there, kind of upset with God. God. And as we began to talk, he began to realize and understand that God loves him so much that he sent his son to die for his, his life. And I remember the time when he trusted Christ as his Savior. And I had the privilege of being able to baptize him. And continued to work and continued to minister to him and continued to spend time and teach him. And I remember the time when he stood in church and preached But I also remember when another guy showed up at Chick-fil-A, just moved here from North Carolina, didn't have any friends, didn't know anybody, didn't know Jesus. And I stepped away from the breading table, and I put those two guys side by side, and they developed a friendship, and my friend invited this new friend to come to church. And when he came to church, he met a girl, and he thought the girl was cute and wanted to get to know her, so he kept coming back to church And he kept asking questions at the breading table about the things he was hearing in church. So my friend got to share with his new friend about Jesus. And then he trusted Christ as his savior. And I've had the privilege now of performing both of their wedding ceremonies to good godly women that they don't deserve. It's true. Both now parents leading their families to love and honor God. Now church family, I want you to hear this. I thought I was just working at Chick-fil-A to get a paycheck to pay the bills. God put me at Chick-fil-A because he had a purpose for me and he had already prepared the path. And I showed up there just to harvest the crop. And while I was thinking that I wasn't where I belonged, I was exactly where God wanted me to be so that I could do His work. And the same is true for you at work, in your community, when you're sitting at the football field waiting and watching your kids practice, and you're sitting next to that other dad or that other mom, or when you're in the grocery store or when you're at work, God has prepared the path for you to fulfill his purpose. The third thing I want you to see is that he picks you up when you fall. He picks you up when you fall. You see, when I see this story of the Samaritan woman, the very first thing I see the disciples do is fall flat on their face. As they show up, and they're immediately shocked. They're thinking, why is Jesus talking to this lowly Samaritan? The first thing Jesus does is he picks them up and he puts them right back into service. He gets them right back into the ministry. He doesn't put them in time out. He doesn't tell them they can't serve anymore. He puts them right into work. Proverbs 24, 16 says, The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. And 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. You see, when we fall flat on our face, God doesn't disqualify us or tell us we can't do anything anymore. He picks us up and he says, get back to work. So as I think about me fulfilling my purpose, you fulfilling your purpose, I wanna give you a real simple recipe for living the good life. Here it is. You ready? Number one, pray. That's it. Pray. Talk to God. You see, as I talk to God, I'm communicating with him. And as I pour out my heart to him, I recognize more and more that he loves me and he's involved in my life. And as I pray to him and lean on him and then see him work, it causes me to realize that I can rely on him even more. And so I pray more and I lean on him more and see him work. And it just continues to grow and grow and grow. And so we ought to communicate with God. The second thing I think we should do is spend time in the word of God. Just spend time in the word of God. You see, as I read the Bible, I learn more about Jesus and I learn more about who he is and what he's done. And as I learn more about him and what he's done, I begin to understand how I ought to walk my life and live my life. Which leads to the third thing. And that is, we ought to live like Jesus. And this is key, one step at a time. One step at a time. You see, I can honestly tell you that by the time I get to the end of today, I'm going to screw up. In fact, before I even leave church today, I'm going to screw up. And so, I might get discouraged knowing that I'm not going to be very successful at living like Jesus you see, I can choose to live like Jesus for the next step. And if I'm willing to take it one step at a time, as I pray and as I read the Bible and I learn more about him, each step I can walk like Jesus. Paul talks about this in Galatians 5, and 23, where he says, but the Holy Spirit produces in us this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. When I talk about living like Jesus, these are the things I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the creative conversations or turning uh, you know, water into wine. I'm talking about this. The way Jesus interacted with people. He showed them grace and he showed them peace. He showed them mercy. He had great patience. Those are the things I want in my life the ability to forgive. In verse 25, Paul says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. This is where I think he's talking about we do it one step at a time. Man, it's really hard to show that guy love. What a jerk that person is. But you know what? I can show him love in this moment. And then I can show him love in this moment. One step at a time all I need to stay focused on. The fourth piece of the recipe is when you fail, dust yourself off and start again. Just keep at it, keep going. And you'll find that the more you engage in prayer, reading the Bible and living like Jesus, the longer it'll go in between failures. And the more people will begin to see God in you and begin to recognize there's something different about that person. I wonder what that is. To which you can reply, I'm living out my purpose. And let me tell you all about it. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. As we wrap up, I want to ask you this question. What is it that you can do today? to live a life in that which is real? What can you do today to be more like him? Maybe you need to start praying, Or maybe you need to invest a little bit more time in prayer. Maybe you need to open up your Bible, or maybe you need to spend more time in the Bible. Maybe it's you know there's a place where God has a purpose for you, and you just need to be willing to step into that and moment by moment live out what God's called you to do. Whatever it is, I challenge as I pray in just a moment. I challenge you to take a moment between you and God and say, God, I want to make a difference for you today. And I want you to live through me. Our gracious Lord, I thank you so much mm. for the opportunity we've had to spend in your word. I thank you for the fun we've had. I thank you for the opportunity that I get to tell somebody that not very many people get to say, I preach with a squirrel in the church. And Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we've had this morning to dig into your word and the opportunity we've had this week to spend time in the word with middle school students. But Lord, I pray that from this church right here, that you would help us love and minister to the community of Sugar Hill so that they would know that God is a good and loving God because we are a good and loving people. Amen. Because we're living like we're reading in your word. And Lord, I pray that you would make a huge difference in us and through us today. This week, Lord, as we go into VBS, Lord, I pray that you give us an incredible week mm. and help us share truth with kids, kids as well. In your name I pray, amen. 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 That's why you want a guy
1: like that leading our middle schooler. Yeah. And just for the record, only a middle school pastor wouldn't completely lose their train of thought thinking there's nothing about having a chipmunk in the church. Any other pastor would have totally lost their brain. A middle school pastor is like, how awesome is this? I take no responsibility for the chipmunk. However, sitting over there, I was that close. I was that close, but if I had gotten him, somebody would have been upset that I'd killed a chipmunk. Could I just stop and say, for those of you that believe in the second amendment, I'm so grateful for those of you that Carrie did not try to shoot the chipmunk. Don't tell me you didn't think about it. I saw some people going like this. And the tell was, we're going about to ruin this carpet right here, not with blood and guts, but with 380 shells. So thank y'all for not shooting anybody today now if you'll promise to come back next week we'll have three of them but we're going to train them this time they're going to sit right up front and raise their little paws when we worship hey would y'all stand for a minute we're going to go but before we go I want you to help me do something Austin will you help me do something alright so that song that we sang the, the line goes like this you turn morning to dancing. And then the drum goes. Right? Something like that, yeah. So I want y'all, probably not best to hit your spouse, but clap, stomp, whatever. I want y'all to be my drum section. All right? Now, uh, Austin, you gonna sing it for us? I'm gonna sing it. We all right, so the first line, it. so you to know, is You turn morning to dancing. And you go. And then the next line goes, "You give beauty for ashes. You turn you shame into glory. glory. You're the only one who can." Let's do that again. You turn mourning you to dancing. dancing. You Woo! give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. Do turn mourning to dancing you give beauty for ashes you turn shame into glory you're the only one who can. hey this week let that jesus go before you and make a way and make your crooked past straight that's what he does let him go within you bring you peace and joy fulfillment and contentment because he's always good and you are always loved. Let him come around behind you when things get difficult, pick you up and carry you through the middle of the problem only to set you down victoriously on your two feet and wipe away your tears and kiss you on the forehead and wrap his loving arms around you so you hear up close, your savior say, my child, say it with me, I love you. Hey, all you chipmunks, go in peace.